Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband Josh wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want, we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry, and then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way, and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church, exactly. knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Just before we go into the word, I just as we were singing and worshiping earlier this morning, this feels loud to me, so you can, yeah. Um, Faith led us in a song that says, take me deeper, kind of go wherever you want me to go and whatnot. And, and, and my sense was that there are some of you who would, with delight, follow Jesus wherever he led you. And what's really frustrating to you right now is that he's asking you to stay put and be deep where you are. And I want to pray for you because that's much, much harder than than just, you know, going someplace and doing something, something cool. Um, so but that's what obedience looks like. You, you don't get to choose your post of assignment. You get to choose how you are, where you are, but not where you are. If you're going to say yes to Jesus. So I want, to, I want to pray for you, that you just have courage to press in to what he's actually calling you to do as opposed to what you'd really rather be doing. Is that, is that okay? 
So if you're like that, just bow your heads real quick. Anybody like that, just raise your hand if you don't mind. I want to. Oh, wow. Okay. Lord Jesus, there's a bunch of us here that would gladly get on a plane, get on a boat, move across the country if we knew that that's what you were calling us to do. But instead, Lord, we know that you're saying to us to be faithful right where we are, to dig in, to push in deeply, to trust you that you know where we are, that you haven't forgotten about us, that we're, haven't, we're not here as punishment. We're here because we said yes to you. And Lord, we just want to wake up every morning with that yes on our hearts and a thanksgiving on our hearts. Because, Lord, you're the one who knows how to move the players on the board. All we want to do is be in the right square at the right time to do what you call and ask us to do. So I pray that we won't spend any more time whining about where we are. But we would wake up every morning grateful that you're with us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so we're uh, third week in, in a conversation about, about financial resource, about money. Um, but like we said the first week, and I think Darren said it last week, really it's not about money at all. Uh, money is a marker of our age. Uh, it's how we, we, we gauge, how we measure. Uh, it's kind of a plumb line of, of heart disposition and attitude. So when we talk about money, uh, we're not really talking about money. We're talking about where your heart is. We're talking about where, where your values are. And, and that's why this is a, a tough one to keep on pressing into. Uh, because if it were just about money, we could probably settle that and deal with that fairly, fairly quickly. But Jesus recognizes, is again, why Darren, Darren unpacked this for us a couple of weeks ago, why Jesus talks about money more than he talks about anything else but the kingdom of God. Because the primary opponent of the kingdom of God in his culture, and I think ours, is material, materialism. It's material. Uh, the material worldview that we live in. So with that kind of in mind, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter um, chapter 6, and uh, we're going to spend some time uh, with what he actually says about it. We've, spent, we've looked at this text before, and I want to um, uh, spend some time thinking about uh, about this, uh, kind of a rehearsal of what we've, we've said a, a couple of years ago. Many of you have joined us since then. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about how uh, we are created to be the image of God. We are created. That's who we are. We're his people. We're created to be his representatives on the planet. And to as now after um, uh, the, the, the fall in Genesis chapter three, those of us who are his disciples are intended to model for a watching world an alternate worldview. That we live, if you will, in a parallel universe. That we are primarily built for the spiritual reality uh, that, that God spoke us into being in the, in the first place. And that we therefore need to use our lives, our whole bodies, and our financial resources, everything else, as a way of pointing to, pointing beyond the material realm that we live in, which is so all-encompassing and so in-your-face present. We are God's... Um, culture shapers so that the rest of the world can see how we manage our resources as, as a way that points beyond the world that we live in. 
That's what I was trying to do. And that's why, by the way, we give regularly to support those of us, those of us of our community who lead us in worship to reorient us on a weekly basis to who God is. And when we get clear in our heads and hearts who God is, then we have a better chance of getting clear in our heads and our hearts who we are. And then when we go out into the world uh, and get banged around, knocked out of alignment on a regular basis, we have this regular opportunity to come back in and get realigned so that we can be useful to God in helping Him save the world. It's, it, it's a tall order. But that's why we give. That, that's why this is, this is important. So we give to support the systems of worship and to remind us and recalibrate our souls of who we are. Last week, Darren talked from uh, uh, Corinthians about the necessity of thinking strategically, intentionally about how we want to be generous. And, and planning for that, a strategized blessing, uh, an intentional generosity that is not accidental or incidental. Um, <clears throat> next week... I want to talk about how to acquire and manage wealth in Jesus' name. More often than not, in, in the years that I've been a disciple of Jesus, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon that said uh, it's okay to be wealthy. That poverty is not necessarily more spiritual than wealth is. And I want to talk about why God blesses people. Uh, not how you can get in the stream of God's blessing. Because you're all wealthy. Compared to somewhere in the vicinity of 95% of the population of the world. Sitting in this room is a higher degree of wealth than most people will ever imagine in their entire lifetime. You already command uh, a wealth stream. Whether you're a student at Cal State, or wherever it is you are, you already command a wealth stream that would feel like winning the lottery to three-quarters of the population of the world. So now, how do we, who are wealthy, manage the resources that God has put in our hands for the kingdom of God? How can we be wealthy in Jesus' name? Does that make sense? Uh, So I want to talk about that next week, because God is not opposed to wealth. He's opposed not to you having money, but to money having you. And so next week we want to talk a little bit uh, 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 about that. Uh, And and the other piece that I want to make on this, point that I want to make as we lean, lean into this, over the last couple of weeks, some of you have really been feeling the push of the Holy Spirit at a convictional level, and it's starting to drift into condemnation. In our prayer time this morning before, we wanted to pray against that spirit of condemnation. This is not about shame on you. This is about, here's an invitation. The truth is, some of you have generous hearts that are captured by choices you have made for indebtedness over the last five to ten years. You can't be generous, even if you wanted to be, because you're in a prison of the choices you have made over the last five to ten years. And you know of no way out of that. I want to say to you, with, with all that I have within me, there is a way out. By the grace of God, you can learn to manage yourself and your resources differently and better, so that within a specified period of time, you can be debt-free. There is a way out. 
this is one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that, that Matt's going to lead this Financial Peace University piece. Because if you listen to all the Ramsey, you know that there's a way out. Now, it's not the same way as you got in. Right? We're the, we're, we're the monkey with our hand around the piece of fruit in the... In, 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 in. You can't get out. You gotta, you, 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 you gotta let go to get out. Right? And this is not, so this is the big, this is the big deal. This is why it's not just about getting a better budget. It's about changing the orientation of your heart. So this is why we've been talking about this over this last little while. Yeah? Um, because I think there's work to be done in the city for the kingdom of God, the resources of which are sitting in this room. The resources for which are already sitting in this room. What does it mean for us to be stewards of that gift? So, when, when um, Jesus speaks on this, as, we, as we've said before, he talks about this more than, more than he does almost anything else. Um, the main passage on this is, is Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus has, has talked about the necessity of giving alms, which are works of righteousness, of fasting and praying. He begins the sixth chapter, or, or begins uh, kind of about halfway through the sixth chapter with what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer, which is set in motion by a phrase that says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So notice in the prayer there is this simple prayer. Give us today our daily bread. As soon as He finishes that prayer and talks about the necessity of, of forgiveness as a foundation for it, He then goes in to talk about money. So right after... Give us this day our daily bread. Let us learn what enough is. Then he talks about how do we manage what's in our hands. So this is where we are. Uh, so let's just follow this along. Do not store up. This is Matthew chapter 6. Holy cow, there's stuff in behind there. There it is. Thank you. Uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, I love that word, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in the heavens where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the darkness in you is darkness, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns. But... Your heavenly Father feeds them. You're much more valuable than they. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So then, why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They don't labor. They don't spin. But I tell you, Solomon, in all his splendor, was uh, not even Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is here today and gone tomorrow, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What should we drink? What are we going to wear? The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get a witness? So we're going to go back up, and I just want to walk through this text. It's a very familiar story. We're going to move fairly quickly through this because you're familiar with it. Uh, go back to the first uh, slide, if you would, please. Thanks, uh, Alyssa. And we're going to tag team. That's, is that where it is? Yeah. No? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, when he's saying, please notice, Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. How many have heard the echo of your Heavenly Father throughout this text? So this is the orientation. We have an Abba. We have a Daddy who knows what we need. He built us this way. He has an awareness of the nature of our condition. So he talks about this and he says, don't store up for yourselves. And notice the tension here. Treasures on earth versus treasures in the heavens. And please notice I'm changing the translation treasures in the heavens because this has been misinterpreted to mean send on to heaven, capital H, the place of eternal destiny, by your investment in things on earth, treasures that will await you when you get there. That's not what he's saying. In Matthew's Gospel, every time you see the word heaven, it's literally in the Greek plural. It's the heavens. And it is Matthew's way of referring to the spiritual realm in which we live in parallel with the material realm in which we live. Remember the three-stage universe, heavens, that the Jewish people understood to be the case. First was the, 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 the third heaven was the heaven where God dwelt and where we eternally will end up going at some point in time. The second heaven is the universe, the sun, the moon, stars, sky, that firmament. But the third heaven, the first heaven rather, where is the space around your ears? It's the air you breathe. That's one, two, three. Where is God present? Our Father who art in the Heavens, He is everywhere present. Don't store up for yourselves treasure in not heaven, but the heavens. Don't store up for yourselves, rather, treasure on earth, but treasure in the heavens, in the space around your ears, where God is present. So it's Matthew's way of referring to the contrast between the material world and the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. And he's saying, you've got a choice with what you do with your financial resources. You've got a choice with how you invest yourself. Don't store up, don't invest primarily in this earth. Why? Because this earth has rats in it. It has rust in it. It has moths in it. And anything that is invested in this worth earth will, res- will, will be damaged by those kinds of things. He calls them vermin. Right? Instead, use the resources of this earth to invest in the kingdom of the heavens, in the space around you, in the, in the spiritual realm. 
Because their moths and rust don't, don't break in. Because he's not talking then about a future when you get to heaven. He's talking about a present. He's not saying where your treasure has been sent on, there will your heart be. He is saying where your treasure currently is, that's where your heart really is. So if you invest in the earth, guess where your heart is? If you invest in the heavens, guess where your heart is? This is, this is what he's saying. Does that make sense? So as he goes on, let's go on to the next one. Thanks, uh, uh, Alyssa. Th- this is an interesting one. The eye is the lamp of the body. So the, the eye has, has the capacity to bring light into, into the person. Right? This is how, how they understood it. So if your eyes are healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. What does healthy mean? Well, look at what he says. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What makes the eyes, plural, unhealthy? The belief was if they were looking in two different directions at the same time, darkness would be the condition of the human soul. If you're trying to focus, this is a parallel from the first century, right? If you're trying to focus on two different things, if you're trying to go in two different directions at the same time, what do we say about the light that is supposed to be coming into the body? It's darkness. So what are the two things that we can choose to look at? The earth or the kingdom of the heavens. But if you try and look at both, you get neither. And darkness fills your body. And what he says here is is that light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? If you think that because of your dual focus, you're all that in a bag of chips, you're not. You've missed the essential point of human existence. And don't even know how dark it is interiorly. You've had that conversation. Perhaps you've been in that place. Before, before the light really started to shine in your heart, you didn't know how dark the darkness was. Does that make sense? And so this is, this is what Jesus is saying. Notice how he develops it. Look at this next thing. Nobody can serve two masters. You can't go to San Diego and Seattle at the same time. You've got to make a choice. Nobody can serve two masters. I'm not going to say which of these options are available to us with San Diego. You'll either hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one, despise the other. But here's what he's talking about. You can't serve God, kingdom of the heavens, our Father who is in the heavens, and money, the marker of value on earth. You can't, you can't, you can't go to two places at once. You've got to make your choice. What happens when our souls, our eyes, are bifurcated, divided like that? Well, he says, don't worry about your life. Now, what is he talking about? The Greek word in behind this is elsewhere translated, don't be anxious about your life. Now, the word anxiety is an interesting word in English. It comes from a Latin word that developed uh, not too far out of this period of time. And it describes what happens when in the Colosseum for the entertainment of the masses, a person would be tied to four horses. Each extremity tied to one horse. And then the horse is sent off in four different directions. 
literally tearing the man apart for the entertainment of the crowd. That's where the word anxiety comes from. Doesn't that describe what it is? Jesus says, you've got yourself tied to four different horses and they're going in four different directions. You are being made anxious by the decisions you are making. Don't do that. Don't try and go to different places at once. It will tear you apart. Can I get a witness? This is what is happening to us. This is why we worry. This is why we're anxious. We cannot make our lives work together for good and just put a veneer of spirituality over the top, mind trying to manage our resources. We, we can't do it. We just can't. Jesus, if you don't want to be anxious, you best just forget about the kingdom of God or just forget about seeking first the kingdom of this earth. Make a choice. Anyone will move you away from anxiety. Now, Jesus is going to suggest that when given that choice, you choose what? The kingdom of God. Because why? When you choose the kingdom of the earth, you don't get it. Because it's not yours to get. Whose earth is this? This is my father's world. So if you pursue the earth without the Father, you don't get either. But if you pursue the Father and let go of the earth, guess what you get? You get both. Why? Because one is a secondary and dependent reality on the first. Eternal realities reframe and define material realities. Is that making sense? The, the, the material world that we live in is 100% dependent on the spiritual world we seek. This is, this is the mystery of Genesis creation. He spoke things into being. God is the only real being. Everything else is dependent on Him. Everything else depends on His existence. If God were to stop thinking about us, we would cease to be. You see this in Genesis, you see it in Colossians, you see it in Ephesians. We hold together in Him. It is in Him that we live and move and have our existence. If you seek the lower without first seeking the higher, you don't get either. But if you seek the higher, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all of these other things will be added unto you. Just keep second things Second, don't let them become first. You get both if you choose the discipline of the focused life on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So seek His kingdom, His righteousness, invest in the heavens. So He, he says, and, and when you do that, because look at the logic that He's saying here. If your focus is food, if your focus is body... What are you going to end up looking at? You're going to look at temporary things that fade away faster than you do. Did you hear what he's saying here? Jesus is really smart. We should write stuff down when he talks. <laughs> Maybe underline it in red even. I'm just saying. What is he saying? If your focus is food, what happens to the food you focus on? It's gone long before you are. 
If you focus on clothes, guess what happens to the clothes you focus? They're gone long before you are. It's not a difference in kind between your clothes and the flowers of the field. It's a difference in degree. They're gone tomorrow. You're gone the day after tomorrow. That's about it. So if our focus is on our material identity, we lose touch with our spiritual core being. So Jesus is just saying, besides which, it doesn't even work. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? In fact, how many of you have discovered by worrying you actually take hours away? Right? And so Jesus is, is, is giving us a strategy here for a way of life that is non-anxious. Doesn't that sound good? But it will cost you something. It will cost you a single focus. You can't, do, you can't look in two different directions at the same time and expect not to be anxious. You can't. You just, it's just not going to work. This is why, by the way, even in terms of marriage, he says, don't be unequally yoked together. Why? Because you're heading in two different directions. Your marriage will be an anxious marriage. All in all and all in all. Make a choice. Make a decision. Here's the problem. If we don't have a plan to seek the righteousness of God, we will drift to the material worldview. Why? Because this is our primary dwelling place right now. This is our there. And we are built for a there that we haven't yet arrived at. But because we're built for a there, every place that looks close to there, we settle down. We're built for a city whose builder and maker is God. This is Hebrews. You with me? But, and so we're built for, for, for a place. We're built for a place. But because we're not there yet, we're still built for the place. We still want to put down roots. We still want to put wall-to-wall carpeting in the tent. We want to make this temporary dwelling place permanent. This is why it's so hard for us to, to move. It's so hard for us to uproot. It's so hard for us to, to let go of, of first, even if we want to get to second. We, I'm safe here. Well, not until somebody hits behind you. Then you better get your butt in gear because he's going to run over you. <laughs> that was a sports metaphor. Did anybody get that? Okay, good, because I'm never sure. I'm always on uncertain territory when I talk about sports. But anyway, you, 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 you with me, though? And, and we do this all the time. We do this all the time. Jesus, the call to Abraham, which you have received, is an, the Abrahamic call is a call to go for a walk to a destination that he will show you when you get there. It's not about a place. It's about a person. That's why he says, don't be, don't be investing in things that you won't be around to enjoy. Don't be buying stuff that you don't want, don't like, and don't need to impress people you don't care about. Right? So Jesus says, because when you do that, what's the inevitable outcome? You have garage fulls of stuff and you're anxious. Really? That's the good life? I'm thinking not so much. So Jesus is really smart here. 
And please notice, he does not ask us to begin with negation. He does not ask us to begin with denial. He asks us, in other words, straighten this out. Stop doing X. No. Jesus asks us to start doing something. One tiny little thing. What is it? Seek the kingdom of God. So when you get out of bed in the morning, I'm seeking the kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on and in me. Yes, Lord. We open up our hearts with a yes. Do you see what I mean? So as we start that orientation, then we discover these other things. Because we, we, we have no capability. Most of us have no capability of editing our lives appropriately. We don't know what should stay and what should go. But as we seek the kingdom of God, He takes care of the editing. Now, here's the deal. When He cuts stuff up, don't duct tape it back on. <laughs> it, it, that's not good. Okay, so that said, now please notice, when you do that, we're invited into a certain kind of, of lifestyle that is marked uh, by earlier on in the sermon. I'm sorry, Alyssa, uh, one more, I think. There, uh, keep going forward. One more. There you go. How many glad we found that one? Now, now please notice, this doesn't make sense if you've got to have all your stuff to be okay. I can't give when somebody asks. I, can't turn, I have to turn away from one who wants to borrow if I need all my stuff. But if I have a Heavenly Father who knows what I need before I ask, and you have some stuff, some needs that I have capacity to meet, what's wrong with being radically generous just because some people ask? Please notice, he's not saying micromanage their use of what they ask for. <laughs> if you've got and they need, it's okay to just give. Now, just, this is not a command. Jesus is not saying you have to. He's saying when you have an understanding of how this works, you can afford to be generous thoughtfully, strategically, intelligently, non-manipulatively, for no good reason other than that you have. And they don't. That's good enough. That's good enough. And so he invites us into this possible radical generosity that is responsible but non-calculating. Radical generosity that makes us stewards of God's generosity. Because he's already blessed us, right? So to give without thoughtfulness is not being a good steward. It, 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 so, so Jesus doesn't say everybody. He wants us to think about this. He want, but you, it's the freedom. Right now, we're not even free to do this. If somebody were to ask us, many of us are just not even free to say yes. Our heart is writing checks that our bank can't cash. So the trick is to orient your heart be a responsible steward with what He's put in your hands. This fits into the character of the Father who even gives to His enemies out of His generosity. That makes sense? This is, by the way, this is, his, this is His secret strategy. God believes, I know it's crazy, but if I'm kind enough, they will repent. That's what Paul says in Romans. It's the kindness of God that enables us to repent. I want, to, I, want to, I want some of that. 
I want to be part of his plan to save the world. Now, I have a balancing story here that I really want to push into this because a lot of our teaching on this can lead people to believe that, that it's, 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 it, it's a gun to the head you've got to give. At least this is the way it's been taught for me often. And, 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 and Jesus wants to push back against this. Look at, look at what he does here. Uh, this next passage, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in. He watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. How many kind of that creeps you out a little bit? Jesus is watching what, it, what, yeah? Okay. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I love that imagery, don't you? And I bet you they had converted it to nickels. Bouncing off the, yeah? So, but a small, a, a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She put in out of her poverty everything she had to live on. Now before we go on to that one, I want you to sit with this for a second. Because we have taken Jesus' comments here. No, no, no. We've taken Jesus' comments in that last verse, verse 44 there, as affirming what the widow did. I believe he's doing that. But I think Jesus is frustrated and angry. That's why he pulls his disciples aside and tells them this. Look at the paragraph just before this story. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues, places of honor. But they devour widows' houses. They make a show of lengthy prayers. They will be punished most severely. That's what was happening just before the story we read. So I'm thinking that the story we read about the widow who puts in the two mites, the last she has, Jesus is not commending her as much as he is condemning them for creating a system that demanded of her her last two cents. A system that was supposed to take care of her was a system that had impoverished her. And Jesus is pushing back against and said, this is not what the Father had in mind at all. So this is not a gun to your head, empty your pockets. This is an openness to the heart of God. An opportunity to invest in the kingdom of the heavens. An opportunity to walk more solidly and securely. Notice what happens. It is the person who is of little faith that is anxious. What does that mean? Faith is the way that we stand in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. When we have little faith, what do we do? We're anxious and we start to grab. And soon what we have grabbed, grabs us. This is the point, of course, of the story of the rich young ruler. The problem was not that the guy had money. The problem was that the money had the guy. That's the tension. So Jesus invites us. What happens? To think about, rather, what happens when we give. To give in relationship. Not out of Christian superstition. If I give, God will bless me. That's Christian superstition. 
you give because He has already blessed you. Even if He did nothing more, generosity of heart is still indicated. What is love calling you to do? So when we give, we push back against the creeping materialism in our own hearts. How many of you feel the gravitational pull of the materialism of our culture? Especially as we head into the how many shopping days till Christmas. I mean, we're being bombarded with the Black Friday is now Black Thursday. Right. And we're already getting preemptive strikes from Amazon and from Newegg and from all of the other shopping sites that I used to subscribe. Um, no, we're, we're all kinds of folks telling me how to spend my money. Oh, wait, it's not mine. We push back against that creeping materialism. We shape our focus to God's kingdom and righteousness. And as a result, reduce anxiety. Here's the part I love most, though. We become imitators of our Heavenly Father. We prove ourselves to be His children. And the best part of all is that we demonstrate ourselves to be trustworthy. Remember that God is looking for people whom He can trust to empower to do whatever they want. Can God trust me? The way I utilize the resources he has already put in my hands answers that question. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let's pray. Oh God, we sit this morning having heard again the words of Jesus so familiar and still shocking to us when we sit down deeply into it. And Lord, I'm, I'm aware that in, in this community there are many of us who are right on the edge. Uh, a lot of us are students. A lot of us are people who are paying off loans, student loans and various other things. Lord, this isn't about, uh, un, fundamentally, it's not about money. But it is about the set of heart. And if we can get that right, everything else finds its way into place. So I ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, please help us get this right. We want to be useful as a congregation, as individuals. We want to be useful. And so I pray, O oh Lord, that as we, as we give in the offering that will be received here in just a moment, that you, O oh Lord, would be pleased with the offering we have intentionally brought today. I pray, O oh Lord, for those who may feel the draw of your spirit to push back more deliberately against the pull of the materialistic world they live in and will come and let somebody come and pray with them. That you will, you will give us an advent, a new beginning, a life not framed by expectations, but reframed by expectancy and hope. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us courage in all this and more. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Uh, Faith is going to lead us in worship. Um, the guys are going to come and receive uh, our uh, offering this morning, so I'm going to ask you to do that. If the bucket passes you by or comes near you, and, and uh, I, I just invite you to take just a minute, whether you put anything in it or not, just to hang on to it for a sec, and just say thank you. For God's provision to you. He has, he has literally watered your life 
So give thanks to him for this. Um, if after that's passed, you want to come and receive prayer for this or for other needs, please feel free to do that. We'll have people who are set aside to pray. Amen. Let's push in. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.